Welcome to the Best Player Wins podcast, where we believe that winning is winning, no matter by how little or by how much. We are your hosts. I am Nate Endries. And I am Eddie Quinones, and it is good to be back. All right, so let's just jump right into it. This upcoming week, we have uh, some some league nominations here that uh, we put up to a vote to everyone in the league and kind of want to dive into that and kind of let you guys know who won. So if you want to go ahead, Nate, you can go ahead and take it over since you kind of had the reins on that. Yeah, so the like I mentioned, there's going to be six total awards spread out across this week, next week, as well as our week 15 episode with uh, two of them coming each week. The awards that we collected nominations on for this week were Most Valuable Manager, which as a reminder we kind of defined as the mo- the manager who adds the most value to the league environment with his interactions in the group, as well as with individual managers. So our nominations for this award were Sean, Eddie, myself, and Nick. And the winner is Eddie. Do you want to give me a little drum roll? <laughs> I can barely hear it, but I like that. <laughs> winner is Eddie who got three nominations. So Eddie, many congratulations. Three different people thought that you were the most valuable manager this year. Um, I myself nominated Sean because I thought that he had a lot to offer, but I don't disagree with this by any measure. You did, you took a lot of initiative this year and getting this podcast started um, and we've kind of taken the reins on it together, but you were the one to initially come to me and say that I think that this would be really fun to do that everybody else would enjoy in terms of the rest of the league. So even just that um, where you started this thing that we're doing now, I would definitely agree with those that nominated you for adding the most value to the league this year. So, yep. And I just appreciate those of you that voted for me. I think this year obviously is one of those years where I wanted to come in and kind of actually have more of a proactive approach to this league and actually kind of get into it and kind of build those bonds and relationships and just have a good time. And I think this year has definitely been my most favorite fantasy season of all time in every league that I've ever been in. I think this year has definitely been the most fun. Yeah, I would echo that. And I think most people in our league would also echo that. I've heard a few people say that they've had, you know, the best time that they ever have in fantasy this year. So I'm glad that, Uh, We've, you know, in a small way, been able to play a part in that. And you especially, Eddie, like I said, with getting this whole thing started. So well-deserved. This next one should be fun. Uh, It's kind of like an opposite to the first award. It's the worst trade offer. So it's the worst trade offer anyone has gotten this year, plain and simple. And we were taking nominations for this only after the trade deadline. Obviously, we didn't want to hear or meddle in any trade talks before then. So here were the nominations for this award. And we don't really have a winner. Maybe Eddie and I will kind of pick the one that we thought is the worst once we read these off. But of course, since everybody's only nominating one specific trade offer, there's not going to be multiple votes on any of these. So the first one that we got was Mark Andrews for Patrick Mahomes. That was given to us by Nick. And that was an offer made from me to him. I will comment and say that And I've said this a few times. I was joking when I made this offer. Maybe he didn't interpret it that way. Clearly, he doesn't. Uh, I was about 75% joking. So I guess that kind of legitimizes the offer just a bit. But that is where that comes from. Do you have anything to add 
in terms of how bad you think this is or not so bad? I think knowing knowing the both of you, I know where one side was coming from when they submitted this, and I know where the other side was coming from when they submitted this offer to this nomination. Um, that's where I'm going to keep it because I don't want to get too much into it. But That's probably yes. the best stance you can <laughs> yeah. take. Yeah. I know it's a bad uh, offer, but is it yeah. a realistic offer that I think you would have made? I don't think so. But. No, it wasn't. And yeah. the reason why I say that is because anytime I make an offer personally for a quarterback, just for the quarterback position specifically, in our league, I always attach a quarterback coming back in the offer because I just don't think that it makes sense to not have a quarterback going both ways. So I was mostly joking. Um, it was kind of like a spur of the moment. I sent it as a joke. Nick reacted very seriously and it escalated from there. So I think he still looks at it as like a super serious offer, but we'll move on from it. It's not that important. The second nomination for worst trade offer, Tom Brady for Alvin Kamara straight up. And this Eddie was Don a dead serious <laughs> offer. Eddie from... nominated this. From... It was from JC to, to Eddie. Go ahead, Eddie. This I had to ask him multiple times if he was being serious and I was giving him a chance to say not playing. He was not. He was extremely serious about this offer. And to me, hands down, this is the worst trade offer I have ever laid my eyes upon. Ever. And I told him this straight up. But, <laughs> yeah. I would agree this is pretty bad. Um Alvin Kamara hasn't looked good these past two weeks, but that doesn't say anything for Tom Brady. And even with the way that quarterback is valued in our league, I don't think that this is a close offer. So certainly one to keep in mind when we wrap up this segment and think about which one was truly the worst. So we'll move on. The next nomination that we have is from Scott. And it is an offer of Josh Jacobs for DK Metcalf and Miles Gaskin. And he noted to me that this offer was made before Miles Gaskin got hurt. So this one came from JC. Again, it was Josh Jacobs for DK Metcalf and Miles Gaskin. Your thoughts on how bad or not so bad this is, Eddie? I don't think this is horrible. Um, I know Miles Gaskins was doing pretty well um, around this time but I don't think it was anything insane. Um, obviously, DK is DK at the end of the day. DK, I think, is going to perform, but he's also a big bust or boom player. Um, and I think Josh Jacobs is the same way. I think, unfortunately, he can boom and have a really good game or he can score you five points. Um, I think around the time, I think this is a, a, a pretty bad offer, not like horrible, horrible. Um, I think it's something that would have gotten accepted in our league if it was different people, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, but overall, from a 1 to 10 scale, 1 being very bad and 10 being a good deal, I'd probably say this was like a, a 3 or a 4. JC was just barking up the wrong tree, you think, with Scott? Yeah, I think if, uh, think if that would have gone any other direction with a similar layout, he might have gotten away with it, depending on who it was. Yeah, and if I recall correctly, DK Metcalf at this time was around like a top five to eight wide receiver. And Miles Gaskin, before he got hurt, was running back 14. So he was yeah. still a top 15 running back. And I think only recently has Josh Jacobs elevated himself to like top five status. So he was probably just inside the top 10 running backs. Yeah, I think he was around. So if 10 I had to, so. uh, 
Right. So if I had to boil down what the trade was, think RB10 for wide receiver 8 and wide or and running back 14. Just by the basic numbers, it's a pretty bad offer. Yeah, yeah. Uh, like you said, maybe I could see something like this going through if it were different owners, but doesn't necessarily make it any better of an offer. So yeah, no shot. It's still <laughs> it's still bad. It's still a three out of ten in my book. Sure. But... Sure. Next one we have, and I'll share this. Maybe I shouldn't share this, but it's I thought it was kind of funny, so I'm I'm going to share it. <laughs> Damon texted me I, when I asked. When I asked the group for the nominations for these awards tonight, Damon texted me and he said, uh, you know, he shared his nomination for most valuable manager. And then he said, and let me look for worst trade offer. I'm going to go pull up my messages with Nick. (laughs) So (laughs) I don't know, maybe he just doesn't like negotiating with Nick or maybe Nick was the only one that made him consistent offers this year, but he actually made two nominations for worst trade offer. One was Cam Newton and J.K. Dobbins for Josh Allen, of course, from Nick to him. The other one was John Brown for Justin Jefferson straight up, also from Nick to him. So I'll ask, which of these two do you think was worse? Do you think both were terrible or one wasn't so bad? What is your take on these two offers from Nick to Damon? I think they're both bad. I think the second one more so than the first one. I'm being completely honest here. Um, at least in the first one, it was a quarterback for quarterback swap of some sort. Um, it wasn't just like J.K. Dobbins and then another random player for Josh Allen. Obviously, they're both still bad. J.K. Dobbins hasn't <clears throat> been consistent at all this year, like not even close to it. And Cam Newton, again, is not a very good quarterback, and he's asking for Josh Allen, who I don't know what he was sitting at at the time, but he's consistently been sitting around like eight, I think, like seven or eight, somewhere around there. Josh Allen has been top five all year long. I don't think yeah. he's dropped below five all year. Okay. Either way, you know what I'm saying? Like he's still a top quarterback. So I'd give this like a two. This is pretty bad. And I think the first one, I'd give it like a one or a two also. Justin Jefferson has been lights out for most of the year. Yeah, he's had a couple of games where he hasn't played so great. But compared to John Brown, I don't think it's even close. Sure. Um, I'll just leave it at that and move on to the next one. Which uh, these these next two actually are nominations from me, and it's because I couldn't really decide between the two, and you'll kind of see that they're based on the same premise. So the first one was Brashad Perryman and Robert Tunyon from Mark Andrews. And let me give some context. I'll give context to both of them. Uh, Robert Tunyon was dropped one day after this offer was made, and Brashad Perryman was dropped less than a week after this offer was made. And mind you, this offer was made when Mark Andrews was tight end four. And of course, I got this offer from Nick as he had both of these players at the time. And then before I comment on either one of these, let me share the other one. It was Denzel Mims for Robert Tunyon straight up. And after I said no, Denzel Mims was dropped not even an hour later by Scott, who made the offer to me. Now, the reason why I make or why I uh, nominated these I would say they're not they're they were bad offers, you know, on their own, right? Because Andrews was a top five tight end and really a top three tight end because of course this is in the aftermath of George Kittle getting hurt. But that wasn't so much my gripe. And Robert Tunyon, this was recently after he climbed into top six status where Scott offered me Denzel Mims, who he added not much earlier than that. So 
I wasn't necessarily looking at that too much. I was just looking at it, you know, Scott trying to like roster churn. I understand that because it's a strategy that you can use. But in both of these cases, you see guys that were clearly expendable for guys that were clearly valuable. And then after I said no to both of these, all the players involved across both trades were dropped very shortly after. And again, I was talking to Eddie before this. I was saying, um, you know, if they're throw-ins to the deal and they're not the main attraction of the deal, I can see justification for dropping players that you put into a trade offer shortly after if the other owner isn't interested. But my personal stance on dropping players that you included in trade offers is that if they were the main attraction of the deal, I think it's a bad look to make an offer and then drop that player that you offered as the main piece of the deal super shortly after. I just think I don't take offense to it personally, but I know I do play in other leagues where people do take offense to that. And I think even if you don't have people taking offense to it, it definitely it slightly lessens your credibility to an extent. I don't know what your viewpoint on is on that, Eddie. So I'll kind of let you chime in here. No, and I kind I kind of agree. Kind of like what I said um, before we started recording and everything is is I understand if there's players that are completely expendable to your lineup and you know you you pick them up and then you want to flip them for a little bit of value. Um, that I understand, but having a player on your lineup, negotiating them for a top player within their respective position, and then kind of dropping those players like immediately after it doesn't bear doesn't really look good. Now if you wait a week and a half, two weeks, sure. you know, let a little bit of time pass by and then drop those players. Yeah, that's fine. Um, but I, I get it. I, I see where it's coming from. You know, I've been in a position before where I've gotten trade offers from people that have just been picked off the waiver. I mean, I've done it myself before. Mm-hmm. It's not something that I completely like throw out the window. Um, you know, right. I, I look at that as a, as a little better, you know what I'm saying? Cause if, if it's a player that's been hot and you pick them off the waiver, and then you offer them at the right time. Yeah, that's not a bad deal. You know what I'm saying? It just depends who you're asking yeah. for. And I don't fault the search for good players on waivers yeah, no, to then include in trades. I think mm-hmm. that's a pretty good strategy. Yeah. And I don't even, this is going to sound odd, but I don't even fault Scott and Nick necessarily for dropping these players because at the end of the day, you have to do what's best for your team. And if that player doesn't help you more than somebody that else that's out there on the waiver wire that you want to pick up, you know, by all means, go ahead and drop them. I'm just commenting that to the person that receives the offer, it kind of looks sly to mm-hmm. an extent that like, oh, you were trying to dump this guy off on me, but you actually thought he had no value. Yeah. So what does that make me think about what you thought I would give up for them? Yeah, and I think there's it's, it's there's kind of just like a weird thing. There's ways to go around it. And even if you make a trade with a player that you know has no value, there's ways to go around it to make it seem like that player has value, at least publicly, um, and not make it look so blatant in a way. Sure. And it's it, like but, I said, I don't personally take offense to it, but I do know of owners. There Maybe there are some in our league. I, I don't know. I haven't encountered them yet. But I do, I do know that I have encountered that scenario in other leagues where owners don't like that. And so I did think if there were any offers that I was going to nominate that these two, I felt like they were reasonable to nominate here, but let's move on to the last one that we got. I didn't think it was too bad, but we'll let everybody that's listening form their own opinion. 
It was Dalvin Cook and Alan Lazard for Will Fuller the fifth, Robert Woods, and Clyde Edwards-Alaire. We got this from Mike, and this offer was made from JC. This one, to me, out of all of them that were nominated, was the most okay. Um, normally, you'd think on its face, a running back and a wide receiver, or, you know, a top running back and a wide receiver that was on IR for two wide receiver one, wide receiver two type receivers and a running back one slash running back two type running back. That seems really bad on its face. But we're talking about one of the top players in fantasy and Dalvin Cook and a wide receiver that, yes, he was on injured reserve at the time, but we do know that he has upside based on what he did before getting hurt and that he was coming back soon. I don't think it was a good offer. I want to be clear in saying that, but I don't necessarily, I was kind of surprised to see it in this worst trade offer nomination because I wouldn't necessarily like it for Mike's team if this trade went through, but it wouldn't be one of those ones that I would see and, and be like, oh man, that was just an absolute trade rape. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. What did you think? I I don't think it's horrible. You know, um, Obviously, there's 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 more upside to one of this than the other, and I think it's a pretty big upside. Um, I think on a, again on a scale of one to ten, I'd probably give this one like a five. I think yeah, it's something I, that you can you work there. around. Like you can work around this trade and have some of these pieces included, and I think make it work. Um, but it was just if this is where it was left at, and this was the final offer. Yeah, it's a, it's not a great offer. I agree with that, and part of it may be because I'm not super high on Robert Woods or. CEH. Maybe that has something to do with it. Of course, we're not factoring in the, you know, the suspension that came out for Will Fuller. That wouldn't be fair to look at in retrospect. But, uh, you know, certainly not a good offer. Like if I was Mike receiving this offer, I would have also said no, but I wouldn't have, you know, come back. I don't know what the exchange was between them, but I wouldn't have come back to JC and been like, dude, that's a horrible offer. Don't even think about sending me another offer for these guys based on that first one. So, What did you uh, think out of all these was the worst? I'll let you make your pick. Try to pick one that wasn't yours. Yeah, I'm going to say outside of my own. um, Out of all of these, I'd probably have to go with either the Cam Newton and J.K. Dobbins for Josh Allen or the John Brown for Justin Jefferson. One of those two. I think it's a toss-up for me. Yeah. I'm since I'm not involved in this one, I'm gonna say Tom Brady for Alvin Kamara was probably the worst one. But if I was in your spot and couldn't pick that one, I would probably be torn between those same two that you mentioned. So yeah, I think uh, we're both in agreement that Tom Brady for Alvin Kamara was the worst <laughs> out of all of these. Uh, but just for the sake of making it interesting and making you pick a different one, we'll say it was between that one and one of the two that Nick sent to Damon. Yeah, and we'll, uh, we we might throw a couple of these out there for you guys to kind of vote on and and kind of look at. We're thinking about it. Not sure if we're going to do it yet, but sure. we might do it. So, so uh, next week's episode will feature the award for best trader, as in the manager who struck the best balance of quantity and quality of trade wins this season, and best negotiator, which will be the manager that you enjoy negotiating with the most. So we will be taking nominations for that between this week and next. And then in week 15, we're going to have the awards for best candidate for comeback manager of the year next season. Um, And that's going to kind of be dependent on potentially what happens this weekend with who gets eliminated from the playoffs. It's a busy week. 
Yeah, we'll get to that shortly. Yeah. I'm excited to talk about that. And then the last award is that same week 15. It's going to be best manager. So just who was the best manager overall, plain and simple. So with all that being said, let's dive into this past weekend, our prior week recap with, uh, you know, leading off with the biggest upset. What did you have? I had your matchup versus Lucas. Um, And Lucas's point, it was kind of an irrelevant matchup for him for the rest of the year because he's eliminated right now. But it, uh, Lucas has had three, no, two upsets in his past two weeks of really good teams two upsets out of his past three weeks sorry um you know lucas is sitting at three and eight right now you know and and he upsetted nate who right now was in a four-way who was in a three-way tie for third place um right now with that win from lucas it pushes another four-way tie for third place which was in a position that i don't think any of us really want to be in right now um because any out of us four that are in that tie could theoretically get the boot from the playoffs, which is kind of unsettling in a way. Um, there are a couple scenarios where even if someone were to lose, they might still make playoffs, but we're not going to dive into that right now. Um, Very unsettling. Yeah. And then that also on, on a little bit of a, of a side note, beating Nate there and then a couple of other of us losing um, kind of keeps Jake's hopes alive for playoff competition and contention. So, yeah, it does. I had the same, no surprise because uh, this was actually the only, if we're talking about in terms of records, this was the only upset this week. So, you know, in my opinion, there's two ways to look at this, to look at Lucas's team specifically. On one hand, he failed to put up more than 120 points in three of his last four matchups coming into week 12 this past week. But then on the other hand, like you mentioned, after this weekend, Lucas has now upset two big-time teams in the last three weeks in me this past week and then JC in week 10. Ultimately, I'm not super upset as I think I'm still good um, in terms of my positioning to make the playoffs despite this loss. And the first-round buys would have been locked up by Nick and Scott regardless of whether I won or lost. Uh, But I will comment that Scott has his work cut out for him if he wants to jump Nick for that top seed next week, or he at least can't expect a, you know, a walk in the park and getting the win over Lucas. So Lucas's team is definitely like you think of players like um, Amari Cooper in past years or Mm -hmm. Chase Claypool this year, boomer bust players that we always talk about in fantasy. I think Lucas just has a boomer bust team at this point. So just depends on which which team shows up that week most shocking outcome i'll just go ahead and give you mine it was damon versus sean so after starting the week off on a terrible foot by leaving an inactive player in his lineup damon's team pulled through for him in a big way uh sean i you know i think i shared this either in the group or with him like he must have been smiling from ear to ear when he saw deandre swift still in damon's lineup at the thanksgiving kickoff for the lions because Mm -hmm. swift was a late inactive due to a concussion for detroit but even still damon managed to crush sean's playoff hopes and eliminate him by way of big performances from Kenyon drake who had 24.3 points and justin jefferson who had 26 points so he basically got enough points for two running backs from Kenyon drake anyway Um, but while Sean is officially eliminated from playoffs, he can still factor into how our playoff seating shakes out 
with his big matchup against my team this coming week in week 13. And then similarly on the other side of the coin, Damon's ticket isn't punched with Jake's team right behind him at six and six now after an expected, but an important win over Kyron's team. What did you have for most shocking outcome, Eddie? I think for most shocking outcome, I had all the losses that happened for those, uh, those teams tied at the number three seed. Um, me, you, and JC all lost, putting all three of us in a really uncomfortable spot. Um, you know, they were, they were wins that were by no means easy games for us. I think yours, when you looked at it in a grand aspect, was the easier game, but it just didn't end up working out for you. Um, but along with myself and JC, we both played the number one and two seed respectively. So they were tougher games, but I think all three of us losing and then putting kind of putting all three of us in that really uncomfortable spot was the thing that surprised me the most. Cause I expect that at least one of us to pull it out and none of us did. Yeah. And the irony of, you know, those three matchups, me versus Lucas, you versus Nick, JC versus Scott out of me, you and JC who would have, um, the easiest or the hardest matchup, however you want to look at it. I definitely wouldn't have named Scott as the easiest matchup of the three because he only put up 150 points, Mm -hmm. whereas Lucas put up 163 and Nick put up 175. So it's just like you said, it's just super surprising the way that those three matchups played out and, you know, how they affect our standings going into this last week. Yeah. But with that being said, Uh, Let's jump right into our top three standings update. So at the very top, we have Nick uh, with a number one. At number two, we have Scott, both of them sitting at nine and three. And then making an appearance for the first time this year in the top three by a slight margin. But top three uh, is myself sitting at seven and five tied with JC, Damon, and Nate. And I have a 3.4 edge on Nate right now. So this 3.4 is 3.4 points that is. Yeah, yeah. 3.4 uh, points. So we've talked about it. We've given enough airtime to it at this point that I don't feel like I need to explain it, but the head-to-head record, which is the first tiebreaker, is kind of all thrown off with four different teams having the same record, so it defers to that second tiebreaker of total points for. And Eddie, by putting up 11 more points to me this week, actually jumped me with the uh, points for advantage and now has 3.4 po- more points than I do. So he, he jumped me there. The props to you for climbing from what was it? One in four or two and four at the, you know, early in the year. Yeah, to now being in third point. place going into week 13. Yeah. It's a great job. Oh yeah. Appreciate it. So our playoff preview, uh, which is our second part, the follow-up to playoff preview part one from last week's episode will be a little different this week, a little bit less to talk about, but um, certainly no less interesting. Honestly, it's probably more interesting. I just didn't want to deal with the headache of going down so many rabbit holes to determine what the playoff berth scenario was for each team that's still fighting for a spot. So let's open up by saying uh, those that have clinched a first round bye, that's Nick and Scott, the fantasy football team with a nine and three record, as well as the helmet in the bush with a nine and three record as well. So with only one week left to go, uh, the highest amount of wins any other team across the league can put up is eight, meaning that the nine wins apiece for Scott and Nick guarantee rest, you know, 
figuratively, because of course their players are still going to be playing in real life. But you know, guarantee rest for their fantasy teams in week 14. They won't have to sweat watching a fantasy matchup play out during week 14. Not at least not with their own team. Maybe they'll be watching the other matchups to see who they're going to end up playing. As for the rest of us that are still alive and in the hunt for a playoff spot, that would be Eddie, myself, JC, Damon, and Jake. Now, as I mentioned before, I'm sure there's a scenario where our first tiebreaker of head-to-head record comes into play, but I highly doubt that the way this weekend plays out ends in any other way than the second tiebreaker of total points four being utilized in the case that Jake pulls off the win on Eddie. Now, you hear me say in the case that Jake pulls off the win on Eddie because the reason why I say that is because if Eddie beats Jake, the way that it works out is the four of us that are not Jake just make playoffs. And that's just it because Jake at that point takes his seventh loss and it's not possible for the other four of us to accumulate seven losses at this point in the season. Cause the other four of us only have five. There's only one week left. Math would tell you the most losses the other four of us can have is six. And if, again, if Eddie beats Jake, that would be Jake's seventh loss. So I'll get back to that shortly, but um, you know, the rest of us should be, <laughs> rest of us not named Jake should be rooting for Jake to lose this weekend. But if he does win, uh, like I mentioned, I expect enough of us to be tied at that seven and six record that the second tiebreaker of total points four will be utilized to break the tie rather than that first head to head, that first tiebreaker of head to head record. I'll loop back one more time and say there probably is a case where the first tiebreaker is the one that breaks the tie, the head to head record. But just with the way that things have been playing out lately, being crazy, I'm not going to kind of rely on that to get me my expected scenarios for the playoffs. So with that, just like I did last week, I'm going to rank the remaining schedules for those of us that are in the hunt for a playoff spot. These were pretty easier to rank in comparison to last week because obviously there's only one matchup left for each of these teams. You can let me know if you agree or disagree or if there's some nuance that you feel should be mentioned, Eddie, but I have them as easy to hard. First one being the easiest, I have JC, Ambush the Manbush, and he is playing Keegan. Second one I have is myself, the 99 Club. I'm playing Sean. Third one, so kind of middle of the pack, Damon, Odell's the number two receiver. He's playing Nick. And then the last two are really interesting because you guys are actually playing each other. I have you fourth, Eddie. I'm just giving the advantage to you as the toughest team out of that matchup because you're the highest in the standings. So I have you fourth, Eddie, Ironman Snap versus Jake. And then the hardest remaining schedule I have is Jake, Ric Flair Drip playing your team. Any thoughts? Um, I think I agree with this. I don't think there's really much wiggle room or area where you can kind of work with this just because some of these matchups are a little are a little more clear cut um, and you can kind of notice, you know, what team has a little bit of a tougher road. Um, I do agree with the, the first and the last two, the middle one, I think that can, that can kind of be a toss up between Damon versus Nick and you versus Sean. Um, just because yes, yeah, Sean's team hasn't been performing so amazing, but there's a chance that Sean's team can do pretty well. Um, and then that matchup with Damon and Nick, um, again, kind of like your your matchup with Nate and Sean. I think it, it leans a little bit towards one side, obviously, when you look at it. Um, but I think there's a chance that it can go either way. So 
Sure. Let's get into our weekly matchup preview, looking ahead at week 13, which is our last week of our fantasy regular season. So this will be uh, kind of the last expanded version of this segment, right? Because we're going to have what two matchups next week total. I think if you're, cause yeah, you know, I'm be, not going to be, be two, I'm certainly not going to be one. listing. Yeah. I'm certainly not going to be listing a consolation bracket matchup yeah, <laughs> as <no>. my <laughs> best matchup. And I guess they're both going to be equally as important. So we'll have to yeah. decide how we're going to shake this up moving forward. But what did you have for best matchup on this final edition of our weekly matchup preview for the regular season? So I'd actually, I had two. Uh, my first one I had was uh, Damon versus Nick. Um, with this scenario, if Nick were to win, it helps everybody else who's tied in the middle, uh, throws Damon out of the playoffs, and everyone makes the playoffs in that in that little cluster. Um, but it also depends on another matchup also. But for the most part, you want to be rooting for Nick here if you're anybody else outside of Damon. Um, but I think it, it just it, it kind of shakes up that that middle pack area. Um, and I think overall, I think it'll be a pretty good matchup. Personally, I think it might it, it leans a little bit more towards Nick's side. But overall, I think I think it'll be a good one. And then the next one that I have, and I think this one might be a little bit of a shocker, but I actually have Lucas versus Scott. Um, I don't think Lucas's record itself says what kind of team he has again, like we said, it's, it's a boom or bust type team. Um, but when he does have a really good week, he can, he can beat anyone in the league. So I'm kind of intrigued about this matchup and I'm pretty excited for that one. What'd you have? Yeah, I'm glad that you brought that one up. Cause I wouldn't have thought of that one as best matchup in that way, but mm-hmm. definitely made a valid point. Mine was also Nick versus Damon. I think that this was, I was kind of hoping that you're going to say a different one. So I, that's part of the reason why I'm glad you talked about Lucas versus Scott, but this is one of two matchups that I expect to be very close this weekend. So on one hand, you have Nick who's fighting to keep hold of his top seed in the league, which he can do with a win. Although it's worth mentioning that he gets a first round by win, loser tie, just because like I said earlier, Scott and Nick have already locked up their first round buys. He just has to have either the same or a better record than Scott to get that top seed overall in the league. But on the other hand, Damon is fighting for a playoff spot, which isn't yet guaranteed for him. But like I've already mentioned, I haven't researched all the scenarios in which he gets in, if only because there are so many different ways that this last weekend of our season can go for every one of us that are still alive, except for Nick and Scott. The honorable mention that I had, which was the other matchup that I was pondering for this best matchup segment was your matchup with Jake, but I will actually get back to that in a minute. Yeah. What'd you have for worst matchup? I think worst matchup, I think it's pretty easy. It was Mike versus Kyron. It's just completely irrelevant. It literally plays no part to anything left in the year. So that's why I had that there. I also had my, <laughs> also had Mike versus Kyron. Yeah. Uh, this is the only matchup this week that has zero implications in the, you know, for the playoffs, as every other matchup has at least one team still alive in it. Even Scott's matchup with Lucas that you mentioned matters yeah. because a win for him and a loss for Nick would allow Scott to jump Nick for that number one seed, mm-hmm. which doesn't change anything for week 14, but it would put Scott on the opposite side of the playoff bracket, which will, in other words, affect his path to the championship. Although I think, again, 
worth mentioning. We actually don't have any idea in, in what way that's going to affect his path to the championship because there are so many ways that our playoff bracket could actually be seeded depending on what happens this weekend. So like yep. on one hand, it matters because where the chips finally fall, if Nick or if Scott keeps the two seed or gets into the one seed, that's going to determine who's on his side of the bracket. Right. But we have no idea who's going to be on which side of the bracket yet, because there's so many different ways again, that this weekend could go. Yeah. And obviously all of us, I think have our, our preferences as to what side of a bracket we would like to be on and, what side we wouldn't want to be on and everything. So I think this weekend will be extremely, extremely interesting um, because realistically one of them might actually want to lose this matchup this week to put them on a better side of a bracket. Um, but we'll see how that goes. But how, but how can you know? Because you don't yeah, know what's going to happen in the other match. I guess there's, there's, like there's you... different matchups that need to happen and things to align for them to know. Right. Yeah. And at that point it's too late because you've already set your lineup. Yep. So I think everybody's just setting best lineup this week and kind of seeing where the where it dust settles. Mm-hmm. It's going to be really fun. Most important matchup I have, I said, I get back to it. I have you versus Jake. This is the matchup that every person in contention should be looking at. And let me tell you why. If Eddie wins, the six of us above Jake and the standings are locked into playoff spots. Of course, I've already mentioned a few times. We already know that Nick and Scott have them locked down, but this is big time for the other five of us fighting for a spot. If Jake wins, there are about 10 other ways this can go in terms of seeding. And it will result in, of course, well, I guess either way, it's going to result in the elimination of one team. Either way, when, it, when all is said and done, four of Eddie, Jake, myself, JC, and Damon will make playoffs this weekend while one of us is sent packing for the offseason. I know I said I was excited last week on air with Nick <laughs> when I talked about winding down the season and watching how the matchups and the playoff seeding plays out which I still am, but I'm also super nervous for some reason, even though, like I mentioned before, like I feel like I'm in a really good spot to make playoffs. I'm still super nervous for some reason. My honorable mention for this, it was the other one that I couldn't decide, you know, between this one and the, the, the other one for best matchup. It's Nick versus Damon. Yeah. Go ahead, and I completely agree with you here with the most important matchup. I think realistically, when you look at all of our matchups, uh, this one just kind of stands head and shoulders above all of the other ones, just because of the implications that it has. Um, it's just to me it's a terrifying matchup and I'm extremely nervous for it but again I think even with a loss in this scenario there are situations where I think a lot of us are okay including us two just because of the matchups and points four um, you know we have a, a pretty decent lead I think at the lowest you have what a 30 something point lead on the next person closest to you and then I have like a 40 something point lead on the next person like closest to you think, as a person. So, yeah, I think Jake is the closest to like in terms of total points for, but people that are underneath us in the standings, yeah. Jake is the next closest and he is 38 points below me after week 12. He's 41 points below you after week 12, but yeah. he also doesn't have the same record as us. So in order for him to jump us, he would have to win and outscore both of us by roughly like 45 points. Yeah. And that's a lot um, to look for, but I think, I think this matchup really is obviously if I win, I'm in, that's cool. Everybody else is in. I think everybody wants me to win this week, except for Jake. But even if I were to lose, you know, there, I think this, this hurts a little bit more of JC and Damon than I think it hurts either of us. Cause there, there is a scenario um, where, 
if you were to win there's there's just so many different things that i've been looking at that could happen but overall yeah, I, think, I think this just has the biggest impact i haven't i've mentioned a few times already i haven't done the math but i think if jake actually beat you this week i would put not knowing how it's going to play out exactly i would put money on it that jake jumps one of damon or jc if he beats yeah. you this week of course those two would have to lose Mm-hmm. I think in order for him to also tie them in record, which would give him the opportunity to jump them. But Jake's team is strong enough in terms of like that second tiebreaker points four, And I think he might even have a head to head win over one of JC or Damon. Yeah. Um, so if he does get a win this week over you, I would, I would be pretty confident in saying that I think he would not be the team that would be eliminated. So certainly a lot riding on this match. Yeah. And and for me to be out, I'd need to lose and then everybody else win because then Jake would have the head to head on me and then it would put him above. So, I mean, there's a lot of scenarios again, but I think I feel confident in everybody else's teams and what everything else looks like. Yeah. I'm nervous for you. I'm nervous for everybody, honestly. Like this is so, (laughs) this is so interesting to me. Oh yeah. Um, Let's get into our last trade talk segment of the season. This is a huge one, a huge week for us in terms of trades. We had two. (laughs) (laughs) And they weren't even that big, honestly. I was kind of expecting like a crazy trade deadline. I I don't know why, if for no other reason, maybe than the fact that we had a ton of trades this year. I think I actually wrote down, this is just kind of off my off the top of my head meaning that I didn't prepare to put this in the uh, podcast, but I did write it down and keep a note in my phone. So I do want to share this. Just the, you know, our trade year in review. We, as a league, we had 62 trades in total. Wow. Um, and technically, if you, so if anybody actually were to care to double check me, the way that I did that was I went and added everybody's total trades up, which you can see on, you know, in the app, if you click like the info button on each team. There were technically 124 total trades if you add everybody's up. But of course, there's two trade partners in every trade. So I just divided that by two. So we had 62 trades in total. That means that we averaged just over five trades per week, which is a ton. Yeah. It's kind of a, you know, like, that's a lot. It doesn't, yeah. it doesn't sound like a lot because we've <laughs> had episodes where we've had like 11 in an episode, right? Yeah. But if you're talking about since our draft, like week one of fantasy football till now, week 12. Over five trades a week. That's crazy. Um, myself, Nick, and Mike all tied for the most trades with 17. JC and Damon tied for fewest trades with four. Damon actually had six. I do want to note that. But two of them were the defense swaps with Jake. That wasn't actually a trade at all because he traded his defenses away to Jake. And then they swapped back the next day. So I'm not counting those. JC and Damon tied for fewest trades with four, which I don't think that's a surprise to any of us, by the way. Yeah, not at all. Um, at the time of the trade deadline, I recorded this. You can do with, with this information what you will. At the current, you know, the, the current standings at the time of the trade deadline were Nick, Scott, and myself in first through, first through third. And what I noted here, you'll see where I'm going with this in a second. First through third place at the time of the trade deadline made a combined 48 trades throughout the season. And this one, I did not, just, just as a heads up, I did not split this in terms of, uh, like I said, that I, I found 124 trades league-wide and then divided it by two for our total trades. Because I didn't know who these trades were all with among the top three teams, I didn't split them. 
So these ones are going to add up to 124, if that makes any sense. I'm a math guy, so I always feel like I have to explain stuff like this. But anyway, long story short, first through third place made a combined 48 trades. Fourth through eighth, so that comprises two more owners total, made a combined 41 trades. And ninth through 12th made a combined 35 trades. So I don't know. You know, I didn't, I'm not suggesting that the teams that make the most trades end up being the best teams or that the teams that make the least trades end up being the worst. It could just be coincidental to our season this year, but that's just the recorded stats that I thought would be interesting to write down and share here on the podcast. Before we get into this week's trades, anything to just add or were you surprised by any of that? I think I expected some of those numbers, especially towards the top. Um, And I think in our league, you have to trade to stay alive. And I, I just think that's the end of it. Unless you drafted a team that is absolutely amazing from day one, which is highly unlikely, you have to trade to survive. And you have to trade likely on a weekly basis half the time. At least one trade a week um, if you can push one out. Um, but yeah, the numbers, the numbers support it. The more you trade, the better you're going to do. They just have to be good trade from the, from this season, certainly, and that's something yeah, I'll yeah. keep track of moving forward. Of course, now that we have the podcast, there's no reason not to track it because um, it'd be interesting to share at the end of each season. But that's kind of where I got that idea for last week's segment: the sinking, swimming, or sailing. Mm-hmm. Um, it's from that motto: like you sink or you swim, and that's kind of the motto that I think those of us near the top that have traded a lot have taken up this year. Is if you sit by and you watch everybody else make the big trades to improve their team, you're going to sink. Or you could swim right alongside of them and improve your team by going after it on the trade market. So sink or swim. Let's get into our two trades that happened this past week. They were pretty small. First one was Nick giving up Devontae Booker, which is the handcuff for Josh Jacobs in Las Vegas. You gave up Nelson Aguilar, which is, I guess, the best wide receiver in Las Vegas. Yeah, Maybe it's Henry Ruggs. I don't know. Very small trade. My gut reaction was I bet they're only doing this just to say that they've traded with each other this year, and it actually means really nothing. Yeah. Like, I guess that's good that you got your handcuff, but whatever. Yeah, and for me, it was kind of one of those things. He, he sent it over to me, and I was like, you know what? Might as well at this point. Nelson Aguilar is never going to touch my lineup, and Booker's a good backup to have because he is Jacob's handcuff, and Jacob's has been questionable. Um, here and there. So I felt a little comfortable bringing him in just in case. So that was pretty much it. Sure. And then the the second and the final trade, not only of this week, but of our fantasy football 2020 season was a buzzer beater. This was at like, I think it was like 1.43 a.m. And our trade deadline was an hour and 15 minutes later at 3 a.m. Sean gave up Joe Mixon. And I gave up Devin Singletary and the Saints defense. What was your gut reaction to this? I think it was a pretty good trade overall. Um, picking up the Saints defense is not a bad idea. I mean, I talked to you about it. I'm trying to pick them up. Singletary can be a little iffy, but so can Joe Mixon. Um, so I think overall it's a pretty good deal. I honestly think Sean got a pretty good end of this. Um, and that mainly being because of that Saints defense, because they've been doing so well. But I agree with you wholeheartedly, and I'm actually going to explain why. Because out of the two trades, believe it or not, this is the one that I picked for trade of the week. It wasn't that many options, and the other one I felt like was irrelevant. So let me explain why I think this was trade of the week. 
So, of course, it remains to be seen how this trade ages through the end of the season. But in the immediate sense, Sean wins this trade by getting help right now with the Saints having a Week 13 matchup against the Atlanta Falcons, who they just put up 17 points on in Week 11, so just a week and a half ago, right? Mm -hmm. The only way that this trade turns around in value is if I make it far enough in the playoffs to actually see Joe Mixon activated from injured reserve and playing in a game for the Cincinnati Bengals. I think in combination with each other, those are two pretty big ifs. So on that premise, this trade isn't going to matter in terms of what I got unless both of those things happening. And both of them happening together, like I just said, I think is a pretty slim chance when you combine the two of them. And I would bet that the only manager in this league that would disagree with that assessment is my older brother, Nick, as his breakdown of the trade to Sean was, and I quote, the rich get richer. Talking about me getting Joe Mixon. Yeah. Did you have a, anything different to add? I'm assuming that was the better of the two that you picked for trade of the week. Yeah. I mean, it really wasn't anything crazy to pick from there. So that's, that's kind of what I had picked there um, to kind of move on from there. What did, uh, what'd you have for the trade of the year? Yeah, so we didn't kind of give a forewarning that we were doing this, but I thought it would be fun now that our trade deadline is over to do trade of the year. And I shared with you before we started recording, Eddie, that I didn't want to pick like a trade rape or one that made one team clearly better or absolutely mm -hmm. punished the other team. Yeah. Uh, if I were, it would certainly be your trade with Kyron for Tyree Kill, just to throw that out there. But the one that I actually picked for trade of the year was one that I've brought up multiple times before. It's Scott giving up Aaron Jones, Ryan Tannehill, and Cooper Cup, and you giving up Russell Wilson, Tyler Lockett, and CeeDee Lamb. Now, if I were to put an example of a mutually beneficial and even trade in a handbook called Trading for Beginners, this is the trade that I would list as my headliner example. This trade beautifully highlighted how teams can help each other fill needs in a way that doesn't favor or punish one of the teams. Eddie had major depth at wide receiver and used it to his benefit in targeting a team with a wide receiver need in Scott. But he did pay in a big way for his team need of running back by sending Russell Wilson to get back Aaron Jones. On the flip side, Scott needed help at wide receiver and like all of us could have used improvement at, at quarterback. And so he had to come to terms with letting go of his big time running back and Aaron Jones to land both wide receiver help and Russell Wilson, who was the best quarterback in fantasy at the time. This trade, I mentioned it last time, would go on to define each team's roster structure as Eddie found himself looking for a quarterback at the deadline, and Scott found himself looking for a running back at the deadline, where ironically, these two guys made another trade in which they filled each other's needs again, with Scott getting Alvin Kamara and Eddie getting back Russell Wilson. So that is why I chose that one as my trade of the year. What did you have, Eddie? So I found I found it pretty tough to, to kind of figure that out because um, I feel like there are so many different trades that filled such different gaps for certain teams in certain areas. Um, but overall, I think there was just just a few trades to me that that kind of stuck out a little bit and – I, I want to say this one was one of them um, just because of the depth that it added on, on kind of both sides of it. And it was actually, it was a little bit recent. It was on November 13th. It was Rick Flair drip and Jake uh, with the trade he made with Nick. 
I think Nick took a really big gamble here to trade for Christian McCaffrey, but I think it was a good gamble for him here further down the line um, since he's going to make the playoffs. He can kind of afford for Christian McCaffrey to take a little bit more time off. Um, And then uh, AJ Green is who he also picked up. But on the other side, Jake picked up a couple pieces that I think are going to help him that definitely helped him last week. And that I think are going to help him again this week, which was with Chris Carson, Carlos Hyde and DJ Dallas was that entire Seattle backfield. Um, Obviously for the time being for both of them, when this trade went through, they weren't able to kind of reap the benefits of the entire trade. Just considering that Christian McCaffrey was out at the time. Chris Carson was out for a couple weeks. Um, Carlos Hyde and DJ Dallas really wasn't, weren't doing so great. Um, but Chris Carson came back last week and did a really good job and did enough. Um, and then Christian McCaffrey is supposed to be back by the time the playoffs start. I took a little bit of a different angle here um, as to how, how I wanted to look at this and then kind of work around it. Um, but that that's one of the ones that, that kind of stood out to me a little bit. Um, but again, like I said, overall, I think it, it was really tough for me to find – a trade that I, I really liked on both ends because um, I think we had a lot of trades this year that swung one way or another. So, Yeah, and when you're looking at it at the end of the year, I think that's just the nature of most trades is mm-hmm. they'll age one side or the other. I don't think that that should scare anybody away from deals. I think, as a matter of fact, that should actually encourage people to kind of bet on their analytical ability as a fantasy manager to to kind of look forward you know into the season and think you know I'm making a sacrifice now but in the long run I'm making my team better and certainly there are situations where you don't want to look at the long run like if you're facing elimination I've talked about a few times this year if your back's against the wall sometimes you need to make that sacrifice of giving up a slightly better end of a deal to get something that's going to help you now stave off elimination but overall, um, I always try to, and I encourage everyone else to do the same, trust my analytical instinct in thinking like, okay, I think this guy's going to have more value rest of season. Certainly it doesn't always work out. And you know, most of the time, I would say more than not, there will eventually be a winner and a loser to a trade just based on how a trade age ages. <laughs> that can be you know, an injury, a changing production situation like say, you know, it didn't happen this way, but let me give you an example. Say if I traded Clyde Edwards-Alaire before Le'Veon Bell signed with Kansas City, um, what I would get for him before that trade happened probably would have ended up being more than I got for him after the situation, which is when I actually did trade for him. And if that did happen that way, certainly I would probably look like the winner because Clyde's value would be it would have been perceived to go down after Le'Veon Bell signed. So hypothetical scenario, but it's just an, it's just an example of... Mm-hmm. The nature of trading is that values change, right? But you always want to try to trust your instinct, your gut, whatever you want to call it, and it shouldn't scare you away from trading. It should, to me, that excites me. Makes me want. It's it's almost like betting in a sense. Like you're not truly betting because you're using your knowledge, but that blend of like taking a chance, rolling the dice a little bit, um, but also making like an educated gamble with trading. It that's what I love about fantasy. So I'm. Glad that you found something that wasn't, uh, you know, kind of in the same way that I did, wasn't favoring to one side yeah. or the other. It, it ended up working out pretty equally for both sides. Yeah. 
All right. So this next one we're going to jump right into is our around the league segment. Uh, this week, we're only going to have one one portion here, but we're going to do the fantasy over under. Uh, as you know, I wasn't here last week, so my record remains the same at seven and 11. Uh, Nick improved to 10 and 11, and Nick is now sitting at four and two. So respectively, the best record out of the three of us. So good for him. This week, I have the Colts defense over under seven versus Houston. One thing that I do want to put in there, Colts defense had negative five points last week. Um, throughout the year, they've been relatively consistent. Um, but Houston also came off of a very big week last week. And um, Deshaun Watson has been absolutely killing it. So, Yeah, doing? I have the under here, which may seem surprising on the surface because of the Colts – they're now the number two defense, actually. The Steelers overtook them today as the number one defense in the league. They're up by three points on the Colts. Um, so the Colts are certainly a close second on the year in terms of defense. But um, and, and it might duly surprise people because while Houston had a big game, specifically Deshaun Watson having a huge game, it came against the Detroit Lions, who nobody is touting for their defense, right? I don't think anybody in... 12 team or shallower leagues is ever starting the Detroit Lions defense. So certainly not a defense that you think like, Oh, it's impressive if a quarterback has a big game against them. So sure. That's worth pointing out, but I think it's interesting to point out as well that I don't think you, I don't think that the Tennessee offense strikes fear in people in the sense that I don't think when you see like, say the Kansas city chiefs, say your defense has a matchup against them. You think, you at least give a second thought to starting your defense, even if it's really good, because Kansas City's offense is super good. Well, I don't think people think that way about Tennessee. And the Colts, like Eddie mentioned, still drop negative five. So I think you can start to see, maybe it's just a blip on the radar, but to me, I'm kind of interpreting that as a slight decline in performance. Obviously, it's a big decline from what you're used to seeing them put up. You know, normally they'll put up over 10 points something along those lines, but they put up negative five this time. But I think it's more of an indicator of decline as the year goes on, more so than a blip on the radar for them. And I don't necessarily think that Houston's performance against Detroit was a blip on the radar in the opposite direction. I think Deshaun Watson has been a consistent performer all year, and despite their record as a team, that that offense has been good all year. So I do expect the Colts to put up less than seven points. Yeah, and... I actually agree here. Um, I don't. I, I can't see them going going too high here or going above seven. I think it'll be close, probably five or six. Um, but again, I think Houston has been doing pretty well. Um, and one thing to point out, he was saying Tennessee, but he meant Houston. Um, but I think Houston has has a good enough offense. But I don't think it's anything to again, like you said, that that scares anyone. Um, but on to the next one, we have. Trubisky over under 20 versus the lions. One thing to note is that he did get listed as a starter again next week. So not such a hot week this past week, but yeah, it's funny. I just mentioned that nobody's starting the lions defense in fantasy, but outside of our league, I don't think most people are starting Mitch Trubisky in fantasy either. I'm going to bet on the defense here and take the under 20 points. I don't think Mitch Trubisky reaches that mark even versus Detroit's defense. Yeah, and and I agree. Detroit's defense isn't amazing. They're not very good. Um, 
But again, Mitchell Trubinsky is also not very good, as he showed last week. Um, so <laughs> more like Mitch Trubutsky, am I right? <laughs> yeah, bro. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So yeah, I'm taking the other <laughs> one. And then the next one that I have is Miles Sanders over under 20 versus Green Bay's defense, who is the 31st worst fantasy defense for running backs. Yeah, and it's interesting that you note that because I wouldn't have expected. I know, like I've heard people say before, Green Bay is not good against the run. I didn't know they were this bad, um, being the second worst in terms of opposing points allowed to to running backs in fantasy. Believe it or not, though, I'm still taking the under. I just don't think that if there is a flow of offense out there, like a team chemistry, I don't think that the Eagles have it. Um, I just think that their offense is kind of their team in general is kind of a train wreck. Yeah. Uh, perfectly highlight. I mean, you could pick any team, but it perfectly highlights the NFC East as a division. Yeah. So I think if anything, Miles Sanders kind of falls backwards into some crazy performance more so than him being dominant um, and putting up over 20 on Green Bay. So I'm taking the under on this as well. Triple under for, for me this week. Okay. I'm actually going to take the over here uh, on Miles Sanders. I think, as you've stated before, this offense is just not very good and they're usually falling behind very early. So they kind of have to have to start passing the ball a little bit more. Um, and and obviously against Green Bay's offense, that doesn't really help Miles Sanders' case because Green Bay's going to score, and we all know they're going to score. Um, but the Eagles actually have a pretty good defense. Um, they're not bad at all. They did pretty well this past week. Um, so I I want to take the over, over 20 here. I think Miles Sanders will be a little bit more incorporated into the offense. And if Carson Wentz ends up getting benched this upcoming week and backup comes in, with uh what's his name what's his Jalen Hurts Jalen Hurts I, I had the name in my head just couldn't think of it Jalen Hurts if he ends up coming in I think Miles Sanders gets a little bit more love because I think they're going to be running a little bit more quarterback plays and I think Jalen Hurts will be a little bit more comfortable with Miles Sanders in the backfield so but sure it's yeah, my guess yeah let's uh take it into our second to last segment of the episode transaction of the week the little mini segment here I have Nick adding Benny Snell Jr. and dropping Samaje P. Ryan. Reason why? Nick was the first one to learn of James Conner testing positive for COVID, and he was sly enough to add Benny Snell Jr. before sharing the news with the rest of us. So I have to give a tip of the hat to him as and I I'll I'll say I'll lead off with this. Certainly I do not hope that this happens. Hope the complete opposite because, number one, I love him as a player. Number two, he's on my hometown team. But I do have to point out, if there were any player that could have ongoing issues with testing positive for COVID, probably a guy like James Conner who already has an immunodeficiency. Um, it's just, I don't think it's likely to happen, but it's just a sad reality that that is possible that if if there were any player in the league that could have an ongoing issue with testing positive, I think it might be him. So, um Sly move by Nick, getting a guy that might not just be a one-week starter. Uh, did you have anything for transaction of the week, Eddie? Yeah, I actually had um, ambush the man bush with JC adding James White. Um, James White actually had fourteen point seven points last week, so I did see that it was a pretty good ad for him, um, and I think that worked out really well for him. So that was my transaction of the week. Unfortunately, it didn't end up mattering because yeah, not at all. But <laughs> either way, struggled this week. But yeah, it was a good, 
Good player to add. Yeah. Let's uh quickly move to our last segment of the podcast this week, our news and notes. So the Steelers, they moved on to 11 and 0. But super sad, Bud Dupree tears his ACL. First question to you, how different is this defense without him? Or do you think they're still like unanimous top two defense? I think they'd linger around that area. Um, quite honestly, I don't think that they're going to drop that far. Um, that defense is still a very good defense, you know, with TJ Watt and Micah Fitzpatrick, Joe Hayden. Like they have Cam a lot Hayward. of Cam Hayward. Yeah. Like they Stephon have a lot Tua, of guys. Sutton, lot they have of... a lot of guys on that defense that can make plays. Obviously, Bud Dupree is a very big piece to that defense. Mm-hmm. Um, if they drop any, I think they're still top four at the end of the day um, with Bud Dupree out. I just think everyone else is playing at such a high caliber on that defense that I think they might even want to play a little harder with Bud not being out there. So that can make that defense look a lot scarier. Yeah, um, I agree. And I think yeah. that the only defense that's in the conversation with them, even after Bud Dupree got hurt, is the Colts defense. But I think that the Colts are a little bit more inconsistent than the Steelers. Certainly they I can't even say that they have a higher ceiling as a defense because I feel like you see Minka getting a pick every single game now. Um so I don't even think I can say higher ceiling, but maybe in terms of like fantasy production, you might see them drop a higher number of points. But like you said, you know, the Steelers just the way that their team is wired, they might even play harder. Yeah. So while I think the Colts are still, a cl- I think the Colts are a close second. I think I still, maybe I'm being a homer here, but I still think the Steelers are the number one defense in the league. It's super tough losing Bud Dupree after losing Devin Bush earlier in the and, season to the same exact injury. And this is something that I was actually just going to talk about with Devin Bush. After Devin Bush went out, you know, you would have thought that linebacking core was not the same. You know what I'm saying? Right. Like, oh, yeah. Devin Bush is gone. It's a different defense. No, they've come out. And they performed even better. People have stepped up. Minka has stepped up. Um, obviously, Bud Dupree had stepped up. Him getting hurt, that's a big step back. But, you know, people on that defense are stepping up continuously week in and week out. And mm-hmm. I honestly think it's probably one of the best defenses I have probably ever seen play. Um, that 2007 Giants defense that year, I think, is, is an honorable mention because they had a very good defense that year. Um, but in my lifetime, defenses that I've seen play, I think this Steelers defense this year is probably one of the best. Yeah, and uh, even Avery Williamson, who the Steelers traded for, I feel like I haven't seen him make much of an impact yet. But maybe we get to see. I know he doesn't play. Chance he doesn't. He doesn't fit the same role as Bud Dupree. No. Um, but I maybe they change up their scheme just a little bit to try to make up for Bud Dupree's absence, and we see a little bit more of him. And he's he's a really good player. Like. We haven't seen him much, so it makes people maybe th- like forget about him a little bit, but yeah. he is a very good player. I mean, he's an athlete. So. I mean, he, he was very good in the Jets. He did very well with them. Um, and I think right now is a perfect time, like you just said, for him to kind of step up a little bit more. <clears throat> it wouldn't be good for him to try to fill Bud Dupree's spot, but step up in his respective area and kind of make up for that difference. Um, so, yeah. We'll Last question on that, and it can be just quick. What, do you think they're going to be affected more in fantasy or in real life? Talking about the Steelers defense. I'm going to say fantasy. I'm uh, going to say real life. Ooh. I just, uh, I think they're still going to be top two. I think they're going to be the number two defense at worst in fantasy, which is basically what they have been all year up until today. So because of that, 
because of my belief that they're basically going to be the same in fantasy. I don't think that maybe they perform at, you know, 95 or 90%. And I'm talking about real life. Yeah. Um, but I think that that's more than what you're going to see in terms of difference from them in fantasy. I expect kind of the same numbers going forward, but in real life, I think you're going to start to see like, like, believe it or not. And of course you've admitted before, I watch more Steelers game than you naturally because, or more Steelers gameplay than you naturally, because I'm a Steelers fan. Believe it or not, there's been a lot of red zone appearances from opposing offenses versus the Steelers this year. I think like scenarios where you're going to see the difference between Bud Dupree and no Bud Dupree moving forward in the season is I think um, the Steelers have been, I would be surprised if they weren't like, I don't, I don't, I don't have any statistics to back this, but I would be surprised if you told me that the Steelers aren't the best red zone defense because they bend, but it seems like they never break and give up touchdowns in the red zone. That's like a small example of a scenario where I could see them missing Bud Dupree a lot in real life instead of making those stops at the one or the two yard line two or three times in a row and forcing teams to kick a field goal, I could see, you know, a few more touchdowns starting to trickle in on that defense. So I think in real life, they're going to be affected a little bit more, but we'll see how that plays out. The last item that I have for you pertains to our fantasy league. We have five teams fighting for four spots for the playoffs. It seems so close that I couldn't even do all the math to project everyone's comprehensive playoff berth scenarios. So Eddie, I ask you, Completely unbiased, being completely objective and neutral, who is your pick for the one team left alive that will ultimately get bounced from the playoffs? I want to say there's two in mind that I think realistically will get bounced um, or could get bounced, and it's either Jake or Damon. Uh, I think they're both in a really close spot to where if Jake were to win, I think Damon's getting bounced. Um just because of how the schedule is most likely going to play out and how the wins and losses are going to go with everything. Um, but again, if, if I were to win, that would just naturally just bump Jake right out. So those are kind of my two. And then I like low key have myself in that third spot because there are a few scenarios that could play out that if a couple no. people were to win and I lose and Damon wins, then I'm done. If anything, I think JC's in that third spot. Yeah. I think, like, I'm not going to, it's not impossible for either one of us to get eliminated oh, from playoffs, yeah. but I, that would be the most surprising thing that I think I've ever seen in fantasy is if one of us lost a playoff spot this weekend. Yeah. So I would say, you know, Jake, Damon, and JC, but my pick is Jake. I believe in your team, Eddie. Not that I don't believe in Jake's team, and I know that he's going to, if he's listening to this, he's going to take this as, fuel and motivation to give like a locker room speech to his <laughs> fantasy team. Cause that's what J that's the kind of thing that Jake's into. But, uh, you know, I think I'm, I'm going to show my bias a little bit here. I think I have the best team in the league, but I think that you're a very close second. And if I'm, if I'm holding to that conviction, that true belief, and I think if you're the second best team in the league and you're not playing who I believe to be the best team in the league, then I, I think you're going to win like every week. Yeah. That's, that yeah. would be my bet every week. And so I'm going to bet on you this time and say that I think Jake's going to get bounced because he's playing you yeah. and a loss for him would mean getting eliminated. The last question. Go ahead. I, I hear you have something to add. No, I was just going to say, I personally hope I win too. On my <laughs> yeah, yeah, so. yeah. <laughs> my last question. We've talked about it all episode. So I just really want to know your honest gut opinion. 
Are you actually nervous for this Extremely. weekend? Extremely. Oh my God. I don't think like you understand how nervous I actually am. Why? <laughs> I know that there is a 95% chance that I make the playoffs regardless of the outcome of my game because of how things shake out and other teams that are still left in it. But it's like that 5% chance that's really gnawing at me right now. And I just really uh, don't no. know. I'm the same way. Play out. Uh, I told you this already. Like once we finish doing this, I'm hopping on and looking at everyone's chances, how they're in, how they're out, what can happen, what can't happen. Like I want to, I want to know my scenarios before going into this weekend. Yeah. So I can tell you what, if myself or Eddie is eliminated from playoffs this week, the podcast is canceled. Done. It's over. <laughs> We're not Forever. showing up. We're not showing up. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. It'll be fun to. Uh, It'll be depressing. You know, of course, it's of course it's always going to be more fun when you're still involved and active to prepare for this. But whether I get eliminated next week or make playoffs, get eliminated the first week, still show up, put on the show for you guys, because ultimately we we have a lot of fun with this. Of course, oh, yeah. we've. You can tell that Eddie and I are super into this. Otherwise, we wouldn't be doing it. But this is also just as much for you guys as it is for us. So we hope that you enjoy you know, what we put together every week. And we'll continue to show up and do that. Despite wins or losses, you know, coming to win or go home weeks. I agree. Coming up and I, I have a lot of fun looking at other people's teams and talking about them and looking at those matchups. I'm going to be a little bit biased. I've had a lot of fun looking at my team and talking about my team this year. But overall... <laughs> I think it's just a really fun time. And I think regardless of whether if I'm in the playoffs or not, I think there's so many good teams left and so many good matchups to be had in the playoffs that I think it'll be exciting regardless if I'm in or out. So I agree. But yeah, that's a good note to end on. But yeah, with that being said, I want to thank you all for coming to episode number eight of the best player wins podcast. It's good to be back. Nick did a really good job last week and I appreciate him for hopping in for me. Um, had a couple things come up. I was moving about nine hours away. So kind of had some things come up and it was kind of rough for me to come in. So I appreciate it, Nick. And thank you everyone for tuning in. Yeah.